Welcome to, well, that fucked me up. It really did. A podcast with Luke Coulson. And Kyle Wise. And each week we're going to be talking to real guests about their amazing, often traumatic, life-changing events. Focusing on stories of survival, hope, and overall triumph. Which is flipping awesome. Yeah. Because we're all about that. We're all about listening to people's stories about adversity and trauma and, and crazy stuff. I think there really is something for everybody. There's many, many topics, many, many guests, people that really have got through uh, some extraordinary things. Please share the love, share the show, get in touch, follow us, subscribe, click. We're trying to make it easy and open for people to discuss things that may normally feel tricky to do so. Um, We've been on an extraordinary journey and we're glad you can join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Well, That Fucked Me Up. I am your host, Luke Coulson. And today we are joined by a fellow Brit, Josh Rogers. Hi, Josh. Hi, Luke. Where are you at? Where are you at? What part of England are you from? West Cornwall, about as far off the island as I could get. That is, isn't it? Is that where the nice beaches are? Where's that? Yes, got... it is. Oh, wow. That's good. Does that mean you surf? Is that surfing? Uh, I do, yeah. I do surf. Oh, my goodness. That's like one of the mm. most beautiful parts of England, because trust me, there's some pretty fucking disgusting parts of England as well, aren't there? You've done well. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Um, I do my preamble. We're all about surviving life-changing events and experiences, and every week a guest comes on and tells us about... Maybe it's a one-off experience, maybe it's a, an event, maybe it's something that happened when they were younger, something that happened last week, something that's still happening now. Uh, normally it's uh, a whole, sometimes can be a whole series of events and experiences. Um, but what we really like to focus on through this conversation is the, the journey out of the darkness, you know. There's some, some of our guests have been through, well, or say all of our guests have been through some pretty traumatising experiences. And um, mm. it's what we learn how we learn and um, kind of insights into who we've become, you know, which is the most interesting part. So, Josh, with all of that, where would you like to begin? <laughs> At the beginning, I guess. <laughs> it's a great place. I love it. It's one of my favourites. So talk us through where you want to start. Childhood? Yeah, childhood is as good as any. Mm. I was raised in a ex industrial town in the midlands in the uk mm. so ex mining town wow pretty well very working class mm. labor kind of white man only kind mm. of space wow uh, my parents were both jehovah's witnesses Oof. and me and my three brothers were all raised in that particular sect that's in itself an entire episode i'd imagine were you did you have to go door to door? Oh, yes. Bloody I've hell. Yeah. So I'll just give you a quick rundown of the general week. Yeah. Tuesday night would be a Bible study, which would be 15 to 20 people in our home for a couple of hours reading Bible stuff, oh. dressing a suit. Oh. Thursday night was a meeting at the Kingdom Hall, which is their church. That was two hours, dressed in a suit. If we were on school holidays, Wednesday morning would have been knocking on doors as an extra treat. Mm. Saturday mornings, knocking on doors. Mm. Sunday mornings, 
back in a suit at church for the for two hours. Oh. So we we wow. lived on a main road, and across the road was a skate park, which pretty much saved my life in its own right. Mm. But it meant that every time we went out, mm. I'd see my friends from school mm. as we drove out in our suit, and I'd see them the next day at school and be like, saw you in your suit. Oh, were they? Sounds like they were nice about it, though. They weren't bully. They weren't like bullish, bullish about it, or bullying you about it. Or was there a lot of teasing? Uh, some some people relentlessly bullied. Yeah, me about it. Yeah, I I had a, there was a phase where uh, one guy would follow us home every every night, just shouting Jobo over Bloody and over again until Bloody we got home. Bloody hell! My um, yeah. <laughs> so I obviously grew up in London and. My, it's it's an awful thing, but you'll be able to relate to this. It's like people run for the run for the hills when they see the Jehovah's Witnesses coming down mm. the street, and you can tell them a mile off. They normally have a little oh, yeah. little briefcase, very well dressed, and your Sunday mm. church best. My mum would literally shout, "Get down, everyone! Get down! The Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses are coming!" Yeah, <laughs> and for our a sensible lady, and for our listeners that don't know, which I'm sure I can't imagine people who don't know, but Jehovah's Witness. You're going door to door to convince people that is it Jesus? Is it Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is it Jehovah? Is it what's the? It's Jehovah, and he gave Jesus to save us all. Mm. Apparently, okay. How yeah. did you feel doing this? Um, what age were you when you realised that not every every normal, let's say, child was doing this? You were probably a little bit of a standout. And how did you feel? Was there any time that you mm-hmm. were indoctrinated to the point where you were into it? Or did you feel like you just fucking hated doing that for as long as you can remember? I felt deeply different mm. as soon as I went to school. Yeah. I have I have like clear memories of being in year two, which I think is probably six or seven years old. Uh, um, and just being completely different. School was very different. For us anyway, we went to a C of E primary school and mm. we weren't allowed in assembly, we weren't allowed to do our re lessons. Wow. So right from the beginning it was kind of there was always this separation and wow. the indoctrination was that these people were worldly and not to be met like mingled with. Right. So wow. there, there was no we weren't allowed to build normal relationships with with normal kids. Wow. And that obviously drew lines between people and there was an automatic division you were all automatically different yeah uh, i never went to a birthday party i was never allowed to go to people's houses oh my goodness um yeah fun times so the the feeling was loneliness yeah a really real loneliness and that just grew and grew mm. by eight years old i was reading passages of the bible in front of 120 people and being made to do these things and there would there'd be this sort of like toing and froing of am I an awful person mm. because this feels wrong and mm. weird and I don't like it mm. but it's all that all the people that I know around me do and have and if I don't do it then I'm going to be damned and yes do you think have um, the privileges do you is it is it a cult? Do you think? Would you would you go as far? If you, as... If you want, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But if you want to be specific, the definition is sect because it's right. a Christian, it's a Christian based yeah. thing. So it is yeah. absolutely one hundred percent sect. It comes out of the Freemasons. Yeah, yeah. 
I had a friend back in school. I was, funnily enough, you talk about I was a, I was Church of England at a Catholic school, and I wasn't allowed to go to. Mm. I had to sit at the back at mass and wasn't allowed to do communion. And it's so funny, isn't it? Right. Talk about like with the world we live in now being kind of inclusive, right? Inclusivity, yeah. and it's just every you know, and we know that there's wars around the world because of religion, and it's so funny, isn't it? That it's just the opposite of inclusive. And I actually had a friend. Yeah. I had a friend. It was a good friend. I didn't. He hid the, the fact he was Jehovah's Witness. And actually, mm. I went and stayed over at his house one night. And then Sunday morning, we got woken up early, and they drafted me into Kingdom Hall and started. And I and I called and I. Well, there was no cell phones back then. My mum came to pick me up from his house, and I said, "We went to this weird place and blah blah blah." She said, "Well, that's you know that's the last time you're seeing that guy." Yeah, and that's. She was really again. annoyed <laughs> with them that they that they'd taken me to Kingdom Hall on the Sunday. Yeah. Like, and she was like, that was probably in their plan all along. She was really angry. Yeah. So when did you start to um, <clears throat> think, I've got to get the fuck out of here? Like, because mm. you're a kid, I'd say, right? Yeah. Uh, I I started to feel very alone at home and very alone outside of the home. Yeah. And by kind of 11, 12, I was deeply unhappy definitely by 12 by 12 the sort of symptoms of depression had started creeping in Mm. and yeah I kind of I knew at that point that it was a a waiting game yeah at 13 I fell in love which was a silly thing to do wow uh, with a girl who was also being raised as a witness Mm. and this was the if this was sort of early 2000s and mobile phones were yeah. Still buttoned and yeah. quite big. Yeah. And I got very addicted to text messaging mm. and was spending five pounds on credit a day <laughs> texting wow. this girl. And <laughs> like and as this deeply traumatized child yeah. that was desperate for connection, yeah. desperate for a relationship and looking for love. Because yeah. what I learned many, many, many years later is what I was experiencing was neglect. Of course. Of course. Emotional and physical neglect. Of course. Well, you weren't bringing so, up, you weren't being brought up in a in a traditional family that raised and and championed and supported you. You were just being no. indoctrinated into a sect. All all love in my life was conditional. Mm. Wow, bloody hell! And I was desperate to find something that felt felt like connection somewhere. So I yeah poured myself into this poor girl mm. and created this almost fantastical relationship that mm. I was going to marry this mm. this girl and that, that was going to be my life. You needed something to latch on to, it sounded like. Absolutely. Right? You needed something Absolutely. to give you some hope outside of this yeah. world you were in. Yeah, and that hope was taken away from me because, uh, like a normal person, she actually left me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I crashed and burned. And, yeah, yeah by, by 14, I, I started drinking... 13, 14, my older brother and my cousin, they were a similar age and mm. they started hanging out in a tent in a bit of land behind their parents' house mm. and would drink. And so I'd go and join them and have these sleepovers where we'd mm. basically get drunk and then wander around town. Wow. And I got a taste for that and then realised that my parents who didn't drink at all wouldn't mm. notice if I raided the spirits Covered. So at 14, heartbroken and suffering with severe depression and insomnia, mm. I sneak down at about two in the morning, mm. fill a tumbler with a mix of spirits, 
get blind drunk, and then I'd go for walks. Mm, I'd sneak out of the house and I'd walk for miles, screaming my head off to Radiohead songs. Right. (laughs) And and that's escape, isn't it? You needed to just... your Your brain... Your, you were in this, like, God, like, trapped in this, like, tr- I guess, like, trauma of the upbringing that mm. you'd had. Like, you needed some yeah. fucking release, didn't you? And I'm, by the way, yeah, relating, relating to this, quite similar to my story of alcohol and drug abuse, mm. you know, which we find mm. out, don't we, later on in life. We don't know why we're doing it at the time. We have mm. no idea, really. Um, so 14's young, though, isn't it, to be drinking tumblers of spirits and... Yeah, on your own. that 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 did then escalate by by fifteen sixteen. I, I dropped out of school. I I kind of went to school, but I go when I fancied it, and I wouldn't leave the house without. There was a good couple of years where I wouldn't leave the house without wearing a scarf up over my nose, my a beanie hat, and then my hood up. Mm. So I effectively wearing a burqa, mm. and I wouldn't leave the house unless I was wearing that. Wow! And I'd go to school, and I'd sit in a room and draw and just draw and draw and draw and draw and that's all I cared about was art wow. and and then I went to my one art lesson a week or wow. whatever it was you you'd uh had you let had you left the Jehovah's yes, Witness I, yeah so I stopped day. at 15 I stopped going because I was going to the Kingdom Hall dressed like that as well which was incredibly embarrassing for my right. parents yes and by the time we got to 15 my dad was making comments regularly about finding somewhere else to live because mm. they were trying to protect the upbringing of my other brothers and I was this You were disrupting it. Example, yes. Were they annoyed with you? Like, were they angry with you that you'd moved away from Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, there was a huge amount of anger. I mm. had a very fractious relationship with my father, which became quite violent. Oh, and, my goodness. Um, yeah, they were quite strict on physical punishment so that went on for a while he's a big guy my dad um and one day at 15 he was wearing his tie it was on the way to a meeting and Mm. i pulled him up he smashed me to the floor and i pulled him over by his tie and legged it Mm. and he never touched me again after that yeah retaliation and it's probably um it's like bullies isn't it it's they'll keep on doing it but you know awful advice if you're listening but probably true you punch one of those fuckers clean in the nose and they'll probably st- mm. they'll probably find a different target after that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's not... Quite possibly. Not dissimilar. And also, as a kid, you're growing, aren't you? So suddenly your dad has to contend yeah. with a, another man as opposed to a small child. And Yeah, that's right. I shot up. I was about six foot by then. Bloody I shot up very suddenly. Yeah, so then the... I stopped, I stopped going. I was basically living there but not living there, just existing, really. Mm. And I started drinking a lot more. Mm. I was drinking a lot with friends, Mm. going to a lot of parties. And at 16, I finished school. And as soon as I finished school, just the the shift from my parents was quite big in terms of you've got to find somewhere else to live. You can't be here. This repeated messaging. And when I'd go out drinking, they'd lock the door. My older brother would quite kindly leave his car open for me to sleep in. Oh, wow. And eventually the school picked up on it and uh, I'd lost my college place because I didn't get enough GCSEs because I dropped out of school. Yeah. So I did miserably at GCSE. And then I was put into, I was offered some council accommodation for other, basically other addicts that were Mm. teenagers. Mm. So at 16, I 
moved into this place locally with a couple of other teens, which I think was a big shock for my family. Mm. I think they talked the talk for so long. Mm. And when I actually did it, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Was that we kind didn't of expect like, you um, to actually do it. Is that kind of like a hot, like a sober living type situation? Like <clears throat> what the place you moved into? What, what, what was this? Or was that? Was Hell it, no. No, the opposite. It wasn't people trying no, to, it, it wasn't people trying to recover. It was people trying to get loaded. It was, it was basically <laughs> teenagers that the system didn't know what to do with. Got it. Got it. Got it. And yeah, in various states of, mm. of addiction to mm. various substances. Wow. Uh, it was it was paradise for me in terms of like absolute freedom. Yeah, getting loaded up with benefits. Yeah, I was getting like eighty pound a week. Wow, which I could just pour into booze. It was wow. wonderful. Was it just drink for you then, or was there were you dabbling in drugs at that stage? It was always just drink for me, and Amazing. bizarrely, I absolutely chastised people that did drugs <laughs> it's, it's, it is it's when i i my my drinking and drugging went on far longer than yours by the sounds of things but when i gave up drugs when i was 30 mm. um, i had a cocaine addiction and when i gave up drugs at 30 i um i thought i cracked it but that's when the real mm. trouble started because in order to compensate for the lack of drugs it was drinking and right. the, the, honestly, the, the next few years of drinking nearly killed me, nearly, yeah. nearly took me out. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know the power of booze. I yeah. really do. Yeah. I when really when do. I when I was moved into this house, they did an assessment and they made me speak to a woman from the police who, having gone through, it was like an hour assessment. And she said, look, if I put you in a room with a heroin addict and I left you both for three days, mm. the heroin addict would be fine. Mm. You would be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was drinking, yeah. When I moved moved out, I was drinking a liter of vodka neat yeah. in one go. It's extraordinary. And, it's a killer. And the, yeah. and, the withdraw- and it is a legal killer. Yeah. It's a bizarre it, thing. It is, yeah. And, and we, we kind of tell ourselves that morally it's better. And I certainly did that as a child. I was like, yeah. I had friends that got into drugs, and I was like, oh, you're a waste. What an idiot. You're yeah. killing your brain cells. Yeah. While I was simultaneously throwing up my stomach lining. Yeah. I mean, joking, well, not joking aside, this is quite funny. I mean, I, I'm i in the, let's just say, the sober community out here in, in LA, and I have mm. been for, in England, um, if you're in AA, it, you're, it, everyone in there is, uh, is a, has an alcohol story yeah. or problem. Yeah. If you have a drug addiction, you're in narcotics anonymous right you're in na you're yeah. in ca cocaine anonymous and they're very yeah. separate in england so if you're in aa you can assume that everyone around you in the room has uh, had has had an issue with drinking in la mm. it's completely merged right so you'll have a whole bunch of ex-addicts heroin addicts meth addicts coke addicts in right. your in your aa group which is wonderful but i mm. still have this stigma that just like you're saying and if someone's talking for the evening and they're like well let me tell you i lived my life on the streets as a as a meth addict i immediately in my head i go oh drug addict great you know <laughs> like they have absolutely like they're like they're way worse than i was because i just had yeah. because for me my problem was drink but of course the stories of the addiction are exactly the same yeah, They're exactly absolutely. the same. Yeah, and the, the triggers for the addiction of and the course. trauma underlying them is of exactly course. the same. Of course. Okay, so you're in the teen you're in the teen utopia with your alcohol addiction. What's next for you? Uh 
I sort of cruised like that for a couple of years, basically. Mm. And then um, toward, like, just before turning 18, I, I rode BMX. That was my... I, honestly, BMX saved my life. Wow. Because the, there was a community that... Some people didn't get it. Some people didn't want to know me. But I had a couple of close friends that mm. really accepted me for who I was. Mm. Even when I was awful. Mm. Yeah. Angry really violent like in terms of what i did to my body and what i did with my bike and Gosh. shouty and yeah yeah and they stood by me and yeah. they mocked me up when i was blind drunk and yeah. dragged me back home wow. and they were they were good people and that that was a big part of i think my survival really yeah it sounds that like. community and yeah interestingly like skate parks have been a big part of my life and certainly in the last few years i've been working doing youth work with a skate park wow. and actually sort of come full circle really it's quite interesting you, you know it's for, in order for me to come here to get on this podcast i just finished a meeting in venice with a with a skate magazine um just to talk oh, about wow. some other stuff on my side business um and quite it, that's i was a skater for 25 years and yeah. um bmx first and then into skateboarding and i you know i still skate with my with my kids and cool. you're here in Venice, especially in the in California, skateboarding and surfing. You know, it literally brings the entire community together. Yeah. And there's a there's a whole drink and drug side to that as well. But the so mm, the sober commute the sober skate community out here is off the charts. And most of those yeah. people have been have been through so much stuff, and yeah. they started skating or BMXing, like you said, as a release mm. to get their yeah. you know. So I'm re- I really relate to what you're saying. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're powerful communities because quite often they still are the fringes, and they are still the places where outsiders can really yeah. come together really and, and yeah, and exist together in that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I was basically a protege for a local pro, and he took me on a road trip to Cornwall, mm. where I am now, mm. and it blew my mind. Wow. <laughs> so it was like this suddenly on this road trip life of. Mm visiting all these spots and going out with cool people and mm. doing really like just mind-blowing things mm. and i had like the best time of my life that i'd had at that point mm. and and then a week later i was back in uh hina actually i'd moved town we'd, mm. we'd moved from one house to another one mm. it was even worse because it was an adult one mm. uh, so there was meth bot like there was mm. methadone bottles yeah. on the bed when i arrived there it was really great and and I went from this, the highest point in my life to, mm. to wow, drinking JD neat by myself yeah, in my room. It's like you had a taste of what was possible. Could be. Yeah. Absolutely. And exactly also that. at the very beginning of this, when we talked about where you were and you said Cornwall, and I said there's some slightly less, um, you know, some less delightful parts of England. It sounds like where you grew up, grew up and your experiences in these houses was one of those less delightful mm. parts of England, right? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, there's definitely much rougher, but it's it's yeah, it's not pretty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um, so then I yeah, I really went. I'd been jumping backwards and forwards on pretty committed to death for a long time. Mm. By then, uh, wow. with, I mean nearly like sort of nearly four years, I'd been toying with suicide. I'd been self harming, mm. mm. and. After that experience, I started saying goodbye to people Gosh. in a in a very deliberate manner, and and yeah, absolutely planned to take my life. Oh, Part of that 
uh, stupidly, I went back to the girl that had broke my heart in the first place and told them. And upon leaving their house, I got a phone call from their father. Mm. And he was accusing me of raping her because he'd come home and found her on the floor. Oh, my. Um, absolutely. <laughs> I'd just broken her heart in, in yeah. saying, like, that. this is what I'm going to do. Oh so I went back goodness. to defend myself, and my father was there, so he'd obviously called my father, yeah. and he drove me to a hospital and right. said, look, you need to section this guy. He's he's insane. Bloody the hospital, The hospital said that I could either be sectioned or I could choose to come willingly, mm. and then I wouldn't have to be in there for a minimum of six months. Mm. And as I was quite committed to suicide, mm. I took the shorter option yep and volunteered myself yep and then spent three months in a young adult mental health ward with um quite a lot of bulimic um kids yeah yeah really really messed up kids and it it made me feel like i didn't i almost didn't deserve to be there it was fascinating i mean i'm just that's it is it's extraordinary wait but so it's almost like you saw you saw some kids that you thought, "Wow, they're not even you. You weren't even a patch on what they were going through." No, you know, not in the of, slightest. Yeah. I was. I should not have been there, in in my opinion. I had a lovely time. Wow. Like, I was well fed. I yeah. went from I went from living on noodles like yeah. every day. I was like well fed. They let me take my BMX. They even let me go out of the ward and wow. ride BMX at the local skate park by myself. Are you getting sober at this point? Well, yeah. There's no there's no yeah. drink at all. Yeah. Um, so I did three months in there and then I went out, I left and moved in with my best friend at the time. His mm. mother was very kind and mm. offered me a place there. And she was very lenient with drink. So I hit the drink hard again mm. and carried on massive parties, absolute blowouts, just mm. lots of blackout drinking for the next year or so mm. until I hit 18. And at that point, I got a girlfriend mm. who within a couple of weeks, kicked me up the arse and said, yeah. my family think you're a waster yeah. and you need to get a job. Yeah. So I got a job. Yeah. And two or three weeks of turning up hungover, I realised I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> so on my 18th birthday, I decided to go sober for 10 years. Bloody hell. No, sorry, that's a lie. I t- that's a complete lie. I decided to go sober for one year. Ah, oh, I was going to say, 10's a bit oh. ambitious, but go on. Yeah, So I, I, yeah, I, I, I missed, a, missed a year. That's so okay. one year. And, yeah. and I got into that, and yeah, I, my relationship was fantastic. Wow. I enjoyed my job. Yeah. It was at a garden centre, Yeah. and I was selling plants, and I yeah. suddenly got interested. I was like, well, if I'm going to sell these things, I need to know about them, and I always spent so much time outdoors because of yeah i was i was an outdoor child really and obviously skating and bmx kind of was all mostly outdoors so i went to college i managed to get into college for free which was an absolute blessing and i studied horticulture and i absolutely wow. loved it wow and i just started kicking ass wow that's incredible so I was going through college. I was loving life. I moved in with my older brother who by that time had also left the witnesses through a whole other story and kind of been blacklisted. Um, but he lived 300 metres away from my parents, so that was all kind of awkward. My dad came round when I moved in with him and said, your brothers will not be visiting here. Oh, my gosh. Did any of your brothers stick it out? One. 
my my so there's one up two down yeah. the next one below me the middle other middle child said to me once i looked at everything you did in your life and i did the exact opposite mm. and he absolutely loves it and wow. he still does wow wow yeah. and That's and amazing. it suits him well he's he's kind of probably high functioning autistic right. and the social structure and the yeah routine yeah. suits him very well goodness gracious me my youngest brother still lives with my parents and him. Wow. He's 25. Oh, my And he's God. miserable. I'm not surprised. He needs to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. By the sounds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you're kicking ass. You're at college. You've got a girlfriend. Yeah. You're sober. Yeah. Yeah. I'm living on very little money, but and I'm working six days a week, but absolutely loving it. I'm fit as a fiddle. 19 years old. Doing great. And sober. Went to a gig locally one night and I was house sitting for a friend and I nipped to the gig, got my push bike outside, was going to nip home, get my helmet and lights and ride off to go and house sit. So about 11 o'clock at night, midsummer, lovely night. And I went to cross the road. And I remember looking for my pedal three quarters of the way across the road to put my other foot on. And then I woke up in hospital three and a half days later. I saw this coming because everything was going too well, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. But our listeners can't see because this is just the audio. But I'm sitting here while you're saying everything's going great and I'm sober and I'm going and I've got my head in my hands because I know that there's a, <laughs> there's a there's a huge butt coming. Here it comes. Oh, Christ. So you got hit by a car? I did. Yeah. Oh I got God. hit by a speeding car. Oh, my And God. Uh, my... There was, I think there was 40 feet of skid marks and <gasps> we'd lined up perfectly with where my body, like where I know I was on that road. Wow. And my body was drawn on the road, 36 feet down the road. Wow. And there I lay. Yeah. So wow. huge head injury, bleeding on my brain, Bloody broken yeah. leg, broken ribs. And long story short, went into a coma. Oh my gosh, that's extraordinary. Did they catch the person? Yes, the person said that a pissed up guy on a bike rode out in front of them, mm. which was hilarious for me. I've been a cyclist since I was three years old, yeah, and I was never been more sober in my life. Yeah, you can't make it up. <laughs> no. So you went and into the... you went into a coma as a result. Yes, they tried to put me into a coma. Mm. But I violently ripped out the tubes mm. and in the, in so doing, ripped my vocal cords in two. Ah, Jesus. And my voice was like that for like three months. Oh, my gosh. And how long did the coma last? And what happened when you woke up? Uh, the coma lasted three and a half days. Mm. I was hooked up in intensive care to 19 different machines. Mm. My partner and my family were told that I would either... Wake up with no memories, no power of speech, and be like a vegetable for a year or so, and then my body would just naturally give up. Wow. Or I'd die. Great. Good advice, because here you are. So they got those options wrong, didn't they? Thankfully, yeah. I, <laughs> I literally woke up in ICU, sat mm. up in this bed, and, and said out loud, crap, what's happened? Oh, my goodness gracious me. Sounds like you were a bit of a miracle then. That wasn't really meant to be the prognosis by the sounds of things. I think in our search for meaning, that mm. is definitely the mm. story that I chose to live with. Yeah. I had spent years trying to die. Yeah. And then a year before, 
I had literally had a conversation with myself in my head where I said, okay, let's try. Wow. And a year later, wow, it felt like a bit of an almighty wow. slap, but it, it really lit a fire under me. Yeah. The, the, the reality of it nearly being taken and me living, there had to be a reason for that. Wow. And I, I went all out. I, didn't go back to college or work for six months. I went mad on physio mm. and neuro rehabilitation. Mm. I just, yeah, went hell for it for life. Were there... They told me I'd never cycle again. Within six months, I was riding BMX again. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, was there, you know, when you woke up and there was, there was the bleed on the brain and they thought that you weren't going to recover, what was the, what, what were the injuries and what were they saying in terms of the rehabilitation? Mm. You broke bones, but the neurological stuff, were you... Was there stuff, was there issues with their memory stuff? What was all that about? Yeah, in the immediate, there was, I mean, I'm still pretty bad for repeating myself. You'll probably notice it. Mm. <laughs> but I was heavily repeating myself in terms of short-term memory loss. Wow. And I, as a very arrogant, naive teenager, discharged myself from hospital six days later. Wow. And then another week later, I ended up in a different ICU because I'd had a reaction where my brain had flushed all of the salt out of my system and I oh, fainted. Bloody hell. So then I was on like limited liquids and extra salt. Mm. And beyond that, just the the overwhelming, oh, I'm still here. Yeah. And the mental battle with that yeah. was pretty big. Yeah. And there was a point where I... I definitely thought, well, fuck it. This is too hard work. Mm. Why bother? Mm. And something grittier, mm. <laughs> which I think now is in, in sort of terms of a lot more somatic experience and understanding the trauma and how it's stored and things. Mm. My body kept me alive. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it got the opportunity it'd been looking for and it said, no, you are going to live and mm. I will keep you alive. Yeah. yeah. And, and that I think must have driven me in some way, and I, I just decided to stick my fingers up at the whole thing. Yeah. So I, yeah, the, the speaking to you, what you were saying about my brain, I spent a year doing neuro rehabilitation. Mm. It, it did six months rebuilding my voice, and wow. at the end of the year, I did a test, like a cognitive ability test, and scored off the chart wow. smart in every bit of the test and the guy would yeah the guy was very supportive and wow. i'm very grateful for it was like you you are an incredibly intelligent yeah. human yeah and your brain is far more intelligent than most people it, it's funny I, that um a lot of addicts and a lot of um, people that rebel against the system and alcoholics are often mm. clever they're often very intelligent yeah. clever people yeah um yeah i think we I'm, I'm putting myself in that category by the way Good. we um we 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 sort of know better sometimes, and we also struggle with our own with our own brains, our own overthinking. You know, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I think for me, I, most of my life was at that point was I just too good at feeling things. Yeah, I'm yeah. too good at picking up social cues and understanding that the vibe wasn't right, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. naturally being empathetic and just swallowing the sadness of the world. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. Uh, it? I saw a specialist a year later who was the guy who put a bolt in my brain Oof. 
to relieve the pressure when wow. when I'd had the head injury. And he said, you should not be sitting in front of me. Mm. And I asked him how long I'd got. And he said, I don't know. You might have six years. You might have 60 years. Mm. Get on with it. Mm. Wow. So I did. Yeah. I I finished college on time with a distinction in absolutely every single module. Mm. Some people hadn't handed in a pass three months later. Mm. Mm. I then, uh, coincidentally, and this is, I mean, I, whatever you believe, this is bizarre. My little brother broke his arm mm. and we had to call an air ambulance. Gosh. And the ambulance driver that came up and called the air ambulance afterwards was like you didn't happen to get hit by a car about a year or so ago did no you no way it was the same ambulance driver <laughs> it was the same guy and <laughs> he said he said mate you were dead yeah 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 that's, you could not believe it that's incredible it was Gosh. it really really was yeah then the, i just continued the upward trend i just yeah. the fire was lit and off i went i yeah, yeah aced college got a job as an undergardener for Sir Cameron Mackintosh, who oh, is the cool. empresario that runs the West End. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went and was his undergardener in his very fancy home in Somerset. And that meant that I could move at 19 and a half. I moved 200 miles away. Yeah. And started a new life, wow. quite literally. Wow. You're, a, you're an inspiration, really. Because it's not just the the mental health of it all, but it's the physical health of it all. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's an it's an against the odds story, isn't it? How I I believe so. Thank you. Yeah. When I was told I would never ride BMX again, I was told you'll never need to work. You'll be on disabilities the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. And and I yeah, within six months I was riding BMX again. And actually, I think that it was a huge help in terms of damaging the repair to my cerebellum mm. because of the hand body eye coordination required yeah to really and it got me around people and it got me around good people and yeah. it, it all the mental health benefits of exercise that we know about you i also ran a marathon before oh. i turned 21 because that was that was like the the defining moment of like oh, this is my life and i'm in control of it and i will do what the fuck i want with my life yeah I just decided to run a marathon before I was 21, which how, I did. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Much older, 32. So what's happened in the last decade? Um, sorry to like to ask you to talk about an entire decade in the next five minutes. but just Actually, it works very well because really we've done all the juicy stuff. Yeah, so yeah, well, that's <laughs> it. Well, no, because what I wanted to, to know was... Um, it, similar to me, all my trauma has resulted in me being inquisitive about mm. the whys of it's also because I want to I want to understand my tra- my PTSD, my fears, my panics, yeah. my reason that I became so ensconced in alcohol, my you know and I and the journey for me has been ama- it's just been amazing. It's like it's like wandering through like a, a rainforest finding all these new fucking creatures and animals it's like every day i learn something new and especially with this podcast mm. meeting people like yourself it's like we're all like-minded humans that have come through the un the unimaginable really yeah and the the common trait is like 
we're, we're in, we want to talk about it because we've come through and we feel we feel good now. We feel okay about yeah. who we are and how we are. Yeah. Like for for me, there used to be so much shame in the drinking and all the things I did through that, and I've. Mm. I I talk about it very openly now. I find it extremely therapeutic because it's mm. it's it's in my past. But I don't want to forget about it. I kind of want yeah. to help myself heal more yeah. by talking about it. It sounds like that's what you're doing, you know? Yeah, I, I think I I come to realise more and more, and I, I you might have heard me laughing quite a lot as I talk about yeah. it. I've come to realise that it is a powerful tool for healing for others mm. as well as deep more deeply understanding myself and yeah. exploring that and reframing a lot of it because I think that is that is what I got good at. Yeah. Was creating meaning and changing the meaning of these things that had happened. Yeah. And still am. I mean my work now, like in a lot of ways, so I work as a coach, mm. as a communication and relationship coach. Mm. And in a lot of ways the witnessing set me up very well for doing that. Yeah, of course. I know how to speak to people. I know how to listen and I know how to communicate and the relationships bit I had to learn elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But I knew I wanted one. (laughs) Of course, yeah. So, yeah, by 20, it was my 20th birthday, I decided I wanted to stop drinking for 10 years because I I started drinking again after the accident Mm. And set some very strict rules, like mm. three pints maximum, mm. always social, no mm. spirits. Those mm. were the rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never drink alone. Mm. And within three months, yep. I was drinking everything I could get my hands on to, a, to blackout drunk again. Yeah, I think so, once you've got those addictive and alcoholic tendencies, limited drinking is next to impossible. Nigh impossible, impossible. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I, I went for 10 years and... And I achieved that goal, and I'm very proud of that. I got wow. to 30. And, and I said when I was 20, I kind of had the wisdom to say, look, hopefully when I get to 30, I can take it or leave it, yeah. and I'll be in a different place. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened. Wow. So I moved to Somerset, and my relationship that I'd been in continued but long distance. She eventually moved down after me, mm. and I think I'd been through such astronomical growth by having this chance to pretty much reinvent myself mm. and more intentionally choose who I wanted to be. Mm that our paths were differing quite seriously and I chose to end that relationship which to this day Mm. was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life emotionally it sounds because I I broke her heart and I broke my own in the process yeah gosh but out of that I met my current partner and now wife Charlie Mm. and we, I, I was on a mission to move into a van and travel and see the world in a van. That's mm-hmm. why I like, set my sights on I want to live in a van. Mm-hmm. And our paths intertwined quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Within weeks of getting together, we were living together. And one year after getting together, we sacked our jobs off, moved into a small motorhome, wow. which we lived in full time for four and a half years wow. and travelled all over Europe. That's amazing. Yeah, it was Epic. Yeah. And and in that time, we I mean, yeah, surfed all over Europe and rode my bike all over Europe and wow. met people and have friends all over Europe that and amazing memories and just so much time for, I mean, it's a hugely blessed time in my life mm. to be able to reflect, to be able to heal mm. and to be able to really choose how I then move forward beyond yeah. that. Yeah. Um, after that four and a half years, we ended up back in the UK. Charlie's parents are a bit older and 
were struggling with dementia. So we chose to live here and we did choose. And I'm just incredibly privileged to have been able to do that to yeah. say, I want to live in that place yeah. that changed my life yeah. all those years wow. ago. And, all those years ago. And build community there and help young people there. That, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's where we are now. What, what a story. What an incredible story. So um, if people, tell me about your coaching and if people, what, what sort of people would get in touch with you for your coaching skills? Mm. That's a good question. <sighs> Quite niche. Yeah. I tend to work, I, I don't pigeonhole myself particularly, and I probably should, but I tend to end up attracting clients mm. who are ADHD, mm. who are chronic people pleasers, mm-hmm. and quite often come from a place of anxious attachment style. Right, so me then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's so funny. Wow. That's funny. That's amazing. Well, they're, they're, I don't believe there are coincidences in terms of like who we bring yeah. into our life. I, yeah. I do think we, we kind of vibe on the same levels and totally. that's why we're sat on this podcast. Totally. So that totally. wouldn't surprise me yeah. hugely. That's funny. That um, really is amazing. Yeah. And yeah, professionally, since I've been here professionally, I worked I worked for several years in schools and colleges with young people and adults um, across all group sizes mm. as a restorative justice facilitator, which is deeply rooted in nonviolent communication. And that... Wow. That process really helped me to understand a lot of what I had been doing naturally in terms of relation building mm. and communication styles. Mm. It was like, oh, I've been doing that for all these years. Oh, I've been doing that for all these years and really gave me the confidence to, to roll and know what works. So we're going to wrap up. Um, we're going to make sure that we've got links to your business, any social that you want to share, anything and everything really on the show notes. Um, so if you're listening to this now, pop over to the show notes and you'll find Josh's info there. Um, have we covered everything? I feel like we've covered everything. We're bang on the money with the yeah. timing here. So it seems like a great place to wrap up for the day um and it just remains for me to say this has been an absolute like roller coaster of an episode <laughs> right. like, sorry and thank you no it, yes and also in a good way but also in a you know like with all roller coasters you're like Wah! and then you're like Whoa! Yeah. you know it's like it's just extraordinary and inspirational and i think you know the whole purpose of these episodes are to give people hope and just let people mm. know because there will be people listening that are in a fucking pickle you know like mm. the rock bottoms or the darknesses or the mental health issue or the depression or the anxiety or the drink or the addiction and it's like here you are like here you are mm. with all of that shit that you went through here you are and i say that about me and i say that about all our guests so give yourself a pat on the back and thanks again for coming on yeah if i've learned anything it is that if you set yourself an incredibly ambitious goal that you think you have no way of ever achieving and you believe that you can and that you will Mm. and then you don't get too attached to how you get there, Mm. you will end up somewhere even better Mm. than the goal you initially set. I have done this time and time again in the last 10 years. I would go as far as to say that's what's happened or is happening with me as well. You know, no rush. This is my dream. And then all of a sudden I, I look back two, three years later, actually, and I'm like, I think I'm, I think I've just bypassed the thing that I thought yeah, I wanted. It's, you know? And it's even better than I thought it was wow. going to be. That is wonderful advice. I love that. 
Um, Let's leave with that. Josh Rogers, thank you so much for coming on. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Luke.